if this is a credential that holds no value in the market or that an employer wouldn't seek out or prefer to see on a credential, we are not going to offer it. There is a flood of credentials in the market, a swamp of credentials, and students can't make sense out of them. Employers can't make sense out of them. So at WGU, we're really holding them to a standard, like the same standards, honestly, that we hold our degrees to. Welcome to Sage Advice, the podcast where the future of higher education is not just discussed, it's crafted. Every episode, we dive deep into the transformative world of learning, bringing you conversations with the pioneers and policymakers who are reshaping education today. Joining you from the innovative halls of Western Governors University, I'm your host, Chris Bunnell. Today, we're joined by Sarah DeMarc, Vice Provost for Workforce Intelligence and Integrity at WGU. Sarah's PhD in educational psychology has springboarded her into the world of education, starting as an independent consultant before moving on to Cisco, where she spent almost 10 years of her life dedicated to the development, innovation, and relevancy of their assessment portfolio. Thankfully, she's now in her ninth year at Western Governors University and leading out on program development, innovative design, and helping WGU students become the best they can be by aligning our degree programs with employer needs. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Chris Bonnell. To start with, could you tell me about your career so far? What were your motivations, aspirations, and how they have evolved as your career has progressed? I went to undergrad completely convinced that I was going to be an elementary school teacher and majored in that as a degree and went straight into my first job at a public school in Marietta, Georgia, and realized that that was not what I thought it was going to be. It was hard. And I learned a lot, but I also learned that maybe that wasn't the best choice for me. So, but kind of always thinking that that was what I was going to do. And I had established that as my career identity. It was hard to kind of pivot and think about, okay, well, what's next and what else can I do? So I wanted to stay in education, but elementary school, not a great path for me. I didn't want to do like counseling or things like that, but I kind of fell into this program around educational measurement and assessment. So really focusing on how do you assess skills and competencies? And I honestly, I didn't know much about it when I started, but I really liked it. And so I ended up getting my master's and PhD in educational psychology and from there, I kind of worked on a grant with a technology company and when I was a graduate student, and then that kind of morphed into a full-time job, which was with uh, Cisco. And so when I was at Cisco, I started with their networking academy program, which works in high schools, community colleges, other sort of early educational programs to help individuals gain networking skills. It's kind of like a technology equivalent of a shop class. 
So individuals that know that they like technology or might be interested in technology, they think that that would be a, a good skill to learn, maybe something that would be a career. And so worked with Cisco on actually taking that in-person program and turning that into a more scalable online program. And since then, it's been delivered to like millions of individuals across, I think, like 100 different countries. And so it's been quite successful and, and really exciting to see like that growth. And so from there, I worked in other kind of assessment capacities within Cisco, whether that was with their certification program or also working in their HR organization on how to help individuals with a career planning and trying to understand what their current skill sets are, understanding what aspirational skill sets there are, and helping students to connect those dots. And so that was really how all of this got started. I worked for another technology company, uh, VMware, after Cisco. But then it's interesting because working for a large company like that was really exciting. And there was a lot of great things that we were able to do. But assessment's not the core of like what those organizations really do or what they care about. And so when WGU came up as like an opportunity, I thought, wow, like that would be amazing. It would be something that I could actually use my skills and I'll say love of assessment, but use that to really help individuals directly change their lives. And so that kind of popped up for me for WGU. And I'm so glad I'm here. Like, I love it. This is like my favorite place ever. And I don't know if I knew a job could be like this. I wish I would have come sooner. So it's been fantastic. Well, I, it certainly has been a privilege working with you. And you're one of the best in your field. So having you at WGU is a real privilege. I got a trick question for you. Which is more important, the content, the person teaching the content, or the content that is being taught? It's an interesting question because sometimes it's hard to separate the two. I think all of us sort of remember those experiences, you know, whether that was in K-12 or college or whatever, of like, those instructors that really made a difference to them, but also some of the courses where it was really interesting material that sparked interest in ways. But I would say if it's done well, and especially if we're looking at something that we want to like scale, the content is really important, especially at WGO, because if content is well-defined, well-designed, and that experience is helping individuals at regardless of where they're starting from and really personalized, then that actually takes some of the work that course instructors have to do themselves to sort of make those connections and build people up to like whatever level that they're needing to, to continue in their course. And so I think if a course is well-designed, then it makes an instructor's job a lot easier. But to the extent that it's not well-designed, then Instructors have to really roll up their sleeves and do a lot of work to get students um, through that course and learning the material that is part of that. Okay, now I'm going to throw you a softball because you did so well with that one. You were leading the innovative innovation team during the COVID-19 pandemic, arguably the most disruptive global event for generations. The world changed. 
How did you change your department with it? So I will say that it's been a great benefit to be able to work at WGU, an online institution serving online students. And so that transition wasn't too challenging for WGU or or my department in particular. I do remember like that day when we were all kind of told to like pack up and work from home for a while. And everybody thought that that'd be maybe like a week or two, and then we'd all be back together, but then just started continuing and going on and on and on. So I will say I miss seeing people in the office. Like I come in as much as I can. And I love seeing people, but I think more people, at least in my department, have opted to stay home since COVID. So I think that kind of transition has been, I think, most challenging for me, although it's been really nice to have more flexibility on when people come in and and when they get to work from home. So not super disruptive for the organization, but I'll miss the old days. No question about that. It was not universal. Were there any takeaways for you, especially in program development that came out of the pandemic? So I would say COVID was somewhat disruptive to WGU, but not terribly so. I mean, we are an online institution. All of our curriculum and assessments were done online. So I think other than some of the experiential learning pieces, like in our teacher's college or in our nursing program, where there were clinical requirements or student teaching, like that was challenging. And so kind of working with those organizations and identifying like, how do we help make sure that we've got a pipeline of teachers, especially in these programs that were so important and so devastated, I think, by COVID. And so really making sure we had good teachers that were hit hard by COVID, really making sure we had good nurses, which were also hit hard during COVID. So how do we continue to support that pipeline of talent in fields that I think were more disrupted? And so that was challenging. So I would say like the big piece was working with other organizations on how they could do work online when they weren't used to it. So WGU like executed flawlessly, but working with these other organizations or whether it was like proctoring and like being able to proctor everything online as opposed to having to go to a test center while WGU's assessments were all proctored online. And so it was no problem for us working with some of those third party assessment providers, like with ETS and other organizations that required people to go into a test center, like that was hard. And so it was mostly challenging working with like external organizations and helping them kind of, you know, sort of embrace this new reality. So as you talk about program development, can you give us kind of a life cycle of what that looks like, what your engagement is, how you are sourcing relevant and timely information kind of take us from soup to nuts, for lack of a better phrase? So one of the things that I really love about WGU and how we approach either the development of a new program or even the redevelopment of an existing program is that we're really focused on what are employers looking for in terms of talent, in terms of skills, and what are some of those trends we're seeing in the industry of what skills are going to become more critical in the future and what skills are going to become less critical in the future. And so really making sure that all of our programs are aligned to what employers are looking for. 
aligned to workforce needs because we want to make sure that all of our graduates have clear pipelines to jobs. I think that's one of the things that's unique about WGU is we don't have a lot of niche programs. Uh, the programs we offer around our bachelor's and master's degree all have clear pathways to jobs and to jobs that are open and needing individuals. And so we're really trying to make sure that when we talk about those pathways to opportunity, that we are creating pathways to opportunity and not, I think what we sometimes say is as cul-de-sacs to nowhere. And so that whole real focus on workforce alignment, I think is really critical to the work that we do in designing any of our programs. And so that's kind of, I think, a really unique piece. The other piece that's kind of, I think, interesting is that we have a real focus on skills and not just making sure that we are embedding them within our programs, but really looking at opportunities to continue to highlight those skills to the individuals that are progressing through that program. So how do we help individuals make better decisions about what credentials that they want to go into? Okay, well, then we're going to show them directly what skills those credentials are going to teach them and how those align to specific jobs, how those align to jobs in their area, how those jobs actually are trending over time, whether in demand or salary. So really giving students great information on making those important choices up front. And then as they start to progress through their program and they're going through their courses, they're gaining more skills. And so how do we make sure that those students understand the skills that they are learning along their pathway to a credential? So that way they can start putting those in front of employers like today. There is no reason why an individual has to wait until they get their degree or whatever credential to be able to say, like, I have these skills. It's not like those magically rain down upon you when you complete your degree, right? You're gathering those skills and are demonstrating those skills all throughout your program. So I think the other piece that's really fascinating about WGU is how do we make sure that students understand the skills that they're gaining, understand the value of those skills in the market, and to be able to speak that skills language to employers. I think like a great example that I love to give is students that are taking like college algebra and they're like, oh, why do I have to take college algebra? I'm never going to use this in my job anymore. You're like, okay, like I get that you're like kind of not seeing the value here, but college algebra is going to teach you critical thinking and problem solving. It's going to teach you about reasoning with data and communicating with data and all of these really critical skills that you're going to see on almost every job description. And so how do you make that more clear to students so that way they can see it and then they're, they can see the value and they're like, okay, like I get it. I understand why I'm taking this. And now not only do I have these skills, but I understand the skills that I now have and I can communicate those to employers. And so that's a lot of, I think, the work that we're trying to do within like our program develop, in addition to like developing online curriculum and developing competency-based assessments and all of those really critical things. But I think really making sure that our credentials have value in the market and that they are completely embedded with skills that students are going to be able to take advantage of today, I think is amazing. This is going to provide confidence to students to be able to have these conversations. 
I think this is going to help them with their resilience and completion through the program because now it becomes much more aligned to say, I understand how I'm going to use this. I understand why this is important. I think the more we can do that, the better that's going to be for students that are in those programs or contemplating whether those programs are for them. So you talked a lot about workforce development skills, and certainly WGU's programs are designed in such a way, as you said, to fill workforce needs. What about soft skills? Do you incorporate that into the program development? Yeah. So there's so many names for it in the market. Like sometimes they're called soft skills or transferable skills or 21st century skills, enduring skills. Like we've seen it all. Like the industry hasn't really like coalesced on a term. But what we're looking for, again, with that workforce alignment piece is there's certain skills that we see over and over and over that are coming up, like communication skills, right? Like that's an obvious one. And that's going to be across any career path that you're going to look into. And also things like even data analytics or being able to like understand data, like that's becoming more and more of a critical skill that will show up in any field that you pursue. Granted, there will be different levels of expectation around like your data literacy, but that's still a requirement. And so understanding how to work with diverse populations, right, is also another critical skill. Collaboration also critical skills. So how do we start to create like gen ed programs in particular, because those go across all programs that are really hitting those power skills, transferable skills, whatever you want to call them. But how do we build that into the curriculum? Because at a level that it goes across all of our programs, because it is important for all of our programs. Well, I'm going to drop a quick name check here for Chris Lee, president of WGU Academy. Now that I've got you saying the word skills, recently you were on a webinar talking about stackable credentials and how they're being used by universities. For anyone not sure, can you describe a stackable credential and how that may differ from a skill? Stackable credentials is something that we have built into our unified credential framework, which is a framework for how WGU is starting to think about the credentials that we offer. We hear a lot of stories about universities that different departments that are interested in you know, developing certificates, and they're all kind of doing it differently, and they're all sort of doing it in silos. I think one of the things that's been really smart about WGU is before we've let loose all of the different groups on certificates or micro-credentials, we took a step back and said, okay, what is a micro-credential to WGU? What is important about it? And what do we hold like consistent? And so part of that was, I'll say it again, workforce alignment. If this is a credential that holds no value in the market or that an employer wouldn't seek out or prefer to see on a credential, we are not going to offer it. There is a flood of credentials in the market, a swamp of credentials, and students can't make sense out of them. Employers can't make sense out of them. So at WGU, we're really holding them to a standard, like the same standards, honestly, that we hold our degrees to. So workforce aligned. And one of the other key pieces is that stackable piece. So all of our micro-credentials will stack into a degree program that is offered at WGU. So again, you are gaining transferable credit in that micro-credential 
that will count towards a degree at WGU. And I think that is also something that's unique to our model and that we are really making sure that, again, that these are credentials of value. And by value, we are talking about transferable credit. It's so that way you can continue education progress and not sort of feel like you've got this sort of side credential that's not going to lead to anywhere. And so we've really been kind of looking at this from a, a couple different angles, which I think are interesting. One is looking at the credentials that we have today, what kind of embedded micro-credentials might already exist? I think a great example is something like software development. And as part of our software development program, students learn project management. Project management is a key skill that is looked for by technology companies, especially people that are, you know, sort of pursuing that as a career path. So how do we start to like recognize that, hey, like, yes, the student is, let's say, in a software development program. Well, let's say after their second term, they have now project management skills that they've demonstrated as part of their program. Let's highlight those as a micro-credential so that way students can start to show those off to employers like at the time that they get them. So again, it's like that incremental value. So we could then take that project management sort of component and we could pull it out where students could take that separately. And if they take it separately, knowing that that will transfer back in um, to a software development program. So that's kind of what we mean by stackable, but it, those credentials all have to have standalone value on their own if we're going to offer them as a stackable credential. So that's a little bit of how we're looking at it. Another piece in terms of stackability, sometimes, as I mentioned, you know, that will just be part of our program pathway where students have collected a number of really critical, valuable skills, and we can micro-credential those as part of an embedded program. Another piece is, especially in our IT programs, there are a lot of really great third-party certifications in the market that have value to employers, whether that's from Microsoft or CompTIA or Cisco or others that are already part of those degree programs. And so students are starting to, when they go through some of our IT programs, not only are they going to get a bachelor's degree, but they're going to get several really valuable IT certifications as part of that program. So again, like that's a stackable embedded micro-credential that just happens to be offered by a third party, but it still stacks in for credit into a W degree. So again, right, we're not accepting any certification out there, but it has to be something that an employer would care about an employer would prefer to see on a resume. And if that hits those boxes, then that's something that we would consider to be, bring in as part of our program. So I think there's like a couple different ways to kind of think about stackable credentials. But again, it's all around workforce alignment and that standalone value and being able to stack into a degree program or something more. So just because program development in the work you do in your full-time job isn't enough of a burden, you're also executive director of the Open Skills Network. Can you describe that? I don't know if it's an organization or an affiliation, but give us a little background on OSN for short that I know was spun up about three, four years ago. So the Open Skills Network was founded a little over three years ago, like right at the beginning of the pandemic, which is interesting. And 
What that sort of came about was there was a group of organizations like education providers, employers, technology providers, kind of network infrastructure that said, hey, you know what? We're kind of seeing where the world is going around skills-based hiring and skills-based education. But in order to sort of see that happen, we need to have a common standard on how we talk about what a skill is. Like just take as an example, skill like communication. Like what does that mean? It totally depends on context, right? If you were in healthcare, it could be around communicating patient information to patients, which is different than communicating medical information to the ship change nurse, right? Those are very different methods and means of communication that aren't really captured by communication. Or if you even take technology, is that communicating technical information to non-technical audiences? Or is that communicating technical information to your peers for code changes? And so so you can see like communication in and of itself, like isn't enough to really understand what's needed and what's expected for an individual on the job. And if we're not clear about what that expectation is for an individual on the job, then it is hard for us as education providers to make sure that we are equipping students with those communication skills that are expected by employers. And so kind of getting into that context behind the skills is really what is core to this open skills network to say, okay, we all love skills. We all want to see it like move forward. But if we want to start connecting all of these pieces between education providers and employers for the benefit of individuals, we are going to have to start talking about skills with a common language. Not that we all have to agree to the same definition of communication, but can we all talk about a communication skill using a contextualized skill statement? And so that's a lot of what the Open Skills Network is about. So there's now over 2,000 members of the Open Skills Network globally. And really, it's about seeing that need to be able to have that standard and to be able to start to implement that in how we tackle as a larger ecosystem that skills-based hiring and, and education piece. And how do we make sure that there's those connection points. So we've done a lot of really fascinating pilots. We've seen a lot of implementation of this skills language into different technologies. So we're really seeing it take off. And I think a lot of that is just recognizing that there's a gap in how we're talking about skills today and that we really need to kind of figure that out if we want to see this be successful in the future. A lot to unpack there, but when you talk about the gap, right, one of the areas where our work has intersected would be that there's a handful of states now that have executive orders promoting skills-based hiring. You've got employers that are undertaking that model, and I know some of the hesitation, not by anybody on the line here or on the podcast, is that it's a devaluation of the degree. Agree or disagree? I don't think it's a devaluation. I mean, honestly, a degree is just a bigger collection of skills. 
And so all of the, all degrees are made up of skills, even organizations that might not be having that particular mindset. I bet if we went in there, we could probably pull out a bunch of skills. I think it's a mindset shift. And so what I kind of see is happening is that employers and states aren't necessarily requiring a giant bundle of skills, like at the degree level, but are okay and understand that, especially in some of these like earlier kind of entry-level positions, a smaller package of skills might be great. And so that could be a certificate or some other type of micro-credential. But I think kind of understanding that you kind of think about them as like Lego bricks, right? So they're kind of saying, okay, maybe we don't need a giant Lego brick. Maybe we need individuals with these smaller Lego bricks. And then knowing that through stackable credentials, you can start to build upon those Lego bricks to create something bigger and something that might be have more sustainability you know, in the career. But it's really about kind of understanding like how big of a bundle of skills are you really needing for a particular job? And I think the other piece that at least people are holding on to is that that degree is validated by usually an accredited institution. Or in the case of, let's say, a third-party certification, it's validated by a trusted organization. And so I do think one of the challenges that we're going to see is that validation piece and how do we start to build trust in individuals that have skills through other means and being able to validate those in a way that is going to provide credibility, I think, to what individuals are bringing to the table. One of the key buzz phrases, buzzwords a while back was on-ramps and off-ramps for learners. Does that fit into the skills component? Yeah, I love the concept of on-ramps and off-ramps. I don't think it's fair to assume that a degree is the only bundle of skills that counts, right? We talked about those Lego bricks, right? And so at what point do you start to accumulate enough skills where it holds value in the market? And so we kind of see that as being some of those on-ramps, but also let's say I'm pursuing a degree program and life happens and I need to take a break. Like I shouldn't walk away with nothing. right? Especially if I've been there for some time and have been able to demonstrate the skills and knowledges and abilities that have been required up until that point. So me, I should own that. So why can't I take those skills that have been validated with me as part of that off-ramp, be able to leverage those towards a short-term or long-term, but, you know, opportunity in terms of career, but then know I can take that and kind of build that back into an on-ramp to continue like my degree program. You can kind of think about it as like a highway. And so what makes sense in terms of what I can leave with and how can I bring that back in without losing credits, but giving people that opportunity to be able to take advantage of skills that they've already gained, even if they haven't quite finished is so important. I mean, like we all see that there are so many individuals, I don't remember the number, but it's huge, of individuals that have some college and no degree and they're walking away with nothing. And so how do you start to really show that value for what they've been able to demonstrate and let them use that, let them own that, let them be able to use the value of that as they're trying to pursue their career, but also know that they can take 
those skills, whether they've accumulated those through WGU, through experience, through other third-party credentials, other education providers, and also use those to better like on-ramp into another credential or potentially a degree. So I think that there's a lot of really important opportunities there. And especially as we're seeing like stackable degrees come into play, like that's a huge benefit of stackable, right? If I'm taking, let's say a degree program and maybe I've got three big stackable micro credentials, like as part of that degree program, I can do one, take a break, come back, take the second one, take a break, do the third one. And now those three, let's say equal a degree. So now I've got my degree, but I was able to do it in pieces that fit my life. And so how do we start to really think about higher education in a way that works for working adults and not 18-year-olds that might have the time and ability to do this for four years plus? And so how do we start to make this accessible, easier, being able to reach the right talent at the right time and making sure that they don't feel like they're going to walk away with nothing if they can't put in the four plus years. So I do think really recognizing like the value of those on and off ramps are going to be really important to how we see the skills-based hiring landscape take shape and also the loosening of the degree requirements. I think we're going to see on ramps and off ramps with micro-credentials becoming more critical and more of a, just a part of how we do work. You know, you've got a number of entities that are advocates for it. Like I said, you've got a handful of state governments that have done executive orders. You've got the U.S. Chamber. You've got some significant industry leaders in retail, in insurance, in the higher education sector. What do you think it's going to take to bring everybody together other than just time? My theory is that this is going to be driven by a government and employers saying, all right, like we have a huge talent problem and we need to think about this differently. I think employers and government are going to force, I think, in many education providers into this space to really be thinking about how do education providers provide more transparency into the skills that are behind these micro-credentials. Like, it's fascinating. Like, I bet that if I were to look, I bet that there's 50. I mean, like, I bet it's more. But I bet there are probably 50 different credentials out there around data analytics. Like, how is any employer going to make any sense out of 50 resumes with 50 different kinds of data analytics certificates? They're not. And if they can't, then they're not going to like be able to make sense of those and they're not going to hire those in- individuals because they don't know what it means. Same thing with individuals. If there is a marketplace of 50 different data analytics certificates out there, how are they going to make sense about which one is a good investment and which is not? And so I do think that there's going to be a forcing function from employers. Individuals, I think, are going to want it, but I think it's going to come from individuals or from employers and from government to say, enough is enough. We need to understand the skills that are part of this credential that is part of your program for us to understand whether or not this meets our needs or not. And so I think it's going to come from employers and government. A lot there to think about. And that forcing function really is going to take some entity with 
power or gravitas to just say, this is the direction we're headed. Sarah, as we wrap up, could you share your vision of the ultimate impact you hope the WGU's approach to higher education will have on the workforce of tomorrow? I love, again, the work that we're doing around workforce relevance and really making sure that that is core to any credential we provide. Again, whether that is a degree program or a smaller certificate is really enforcing that workforce relevance piece. I think the other thing that we're doing that is going to make a big difference is we are being very transparent about that. All of our credentials you can look up in the credential engine registry, have all the skills and competencies that are behind those credentials, whether or not that is a certificate in academy or whether that is a degree program through the university. All of that we are making transparent to individuals and to employers on what are the skills and competencies behind each of those programs. So I think that that is really enabling us to be a leader in this space But that's really centered around value, right? And making sure that students understand the value of the credentials that they're signing up for. Employers understand the value of the credentials that that individual has. And so I think like this big piece around that value is something that I'm not hearing a lot about from other organizations. In fact, Like it's fascinating because at WGU, we talk about factored graduate return and it's basically ROI for the individual, right? Was this credential a good investment for this individual as it relates to future career impact and salary? Like when we go and talk about return with like in other like venues, other that's conferences or with other organizations, and we talk about return as one of our key results organizations immediately think that they're talking about return to the institution. Like, oh, is this going to make us money? We're like, okay, yes, you don't want to offer programs that are going to tank your university. But like, that's not what we care about. We care about return for the student. And I think that's pretty unique. And I think that like, there's a lot more that WGU can say about that in terms of demonstrating like our student obsession and really being able to be a role model for other institutions as we think about how we continue to support value for individuals that are going to support value for employers and for workforce more broadly. So that's my hope. Sage Advice listeners, that's Sarah DeMarc, Vice Provost at Western Governors University. Thank you, Sarah, for taking time with us today. Always enjoyable and a real privilege to have you on board. You're welcome. It was fun to chat with you. I appreciate it. Sage Advice is brought to you by Western Governors University. To learn more about WGU and how it's pioneering a new path in higher education, visit wgu.edu. If you enjoyed our discussion today, don't forget to subscribe to Sage Advice wherever you get your podcasts. Join us next time for more insightful conversations. Until then, keep learning, keep growing, and keep pushing the boundaries of what education can achieve. From the team here at WGU, thank you for listening to Sage Advice.